Amen. Good morning. We will be standing with them in prayer this morning, so we're looking forward to uh, praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Welcome to the uh, 1045 service. If you're joining us online, good to have you here as well. Those of you out in the fellowship hall, uh, welcome to the kids. We don't normally have you in this service, not that you're prevented from being in this service, but you're usually bored with this service. And, um, and uh, adults, we can give you crayons too if you think you're going to get... <laughs> If you're going to get bored with whatever I have to say, then uh, you can color as well. But uh, uh, we'd rather have you here than other places. So, um, no, but we've got the little activity packs for the kids. You know, we we started. Uh, well, I didn't. Uh, we didn't. But we have a paint contract that started to work on the modulars this week, and um, we did it for the kids, and it knocked out today's classes for the kids because we had rain on Tuesday and heavy frost for three straight days, and uh, the, the modulars and the walkway wouldn't dry out until like 1 o'clock each afternoon, so they had to go do other projects to come back to ours and, and sanding and all that good stuff. So hopefully we're done the next couple of days. Uh, just the painting part, we still have to put the wood trim up there and, and uh, the trellis stuff around the, the greenery that's going to go around the bottom. So the next couple of weeks, hopefully by Thanksgiving, it looks transformed out there. You can already see that they are actually one color now. They used to be like 12 shades of gray on the round, around it. So... Uh, we made some progress. I also wanted to say thank you so much uh, for your cards, your encouragement, your notes, uh, some of your gift cards, sending me to Starbucks and places like that. Yeah, so thank you uh, on behalf of me and my wife and Pastor Trevor and Dana. Uh, you guys don't have to do that, but, but we really appreciate that you do. And I mean that. You don't have to do it, uh, but thank you for doing it anyway, and that was a real blessing. Uh, I'm humbled by it when it happens. So thank you so much, and we love serving here, and I also wanted to mention um, Tuan turned 50 this week, you guys. Uh, did you see him up here? And if he looked a little older to you now, you know why. So, um, so you know, that, that, that changes your demeanor, you know, you, uh, you're more wise now, and all that kind of stuff, so... Um, Get to visit the doctor more. You get, you know, you get all kinds of stuff. You get more ch checkups and everything. You know, so enjoy it. Uh, you just ride your bike and all that stuff. You'll, do, you'll be fine. But, uh, but uh, you know, we will be remembering the persecuted church this morning. At the end of the service, we'll be praying. Uh, hope that video was instructive for you and reminding you uh, to be praying. And, and I do. I don't need IDOP, International Day of Prayer, to be praying for the church. But it is helpful. Uh, to kind of understand some current things, what's taking place, 360 million people uh, right now under some form of persecution. So we'll be praying for them at the end of this service. We're going to make a little special time. I also wanted to say, if you, you couldn't miss all the shoeboxes over here, and uh, you, you notice we've got these flags. Uh, if you're visiting, we don't normally have these flags up here. You say, this is one of those really Pentecostal churches. They've got, uh, they got flags everywhere. What's going to be going on? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not. Uh, not I'm just saying uh, we don't normally have these flags up here. Uh, they were put up here yesterday for uh, the shoebox uh, packing party that we had, uh, which was great. And so, since the boxes will be going to countries all over the world, uh, they put this up. But I said, hey, we also have the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, which is also for nations around the world. So leave it up. Uh, it works. Uh, works perfect. We got kind of bang for our buck uh, in both these things. So we did 300 and uh, did 365 boxes yesterday. 
that'll be going all over the world. So thank you for everybody who helped. And I don't know if Allison is still in this service somewhere, but Allison, you know, she got up here several times. She's 15 years old. She led the whole project for a part of her heritage. Uh, um, what is it? Um, heritage girls. Uh, uh, but she did a great job, and uh, you know, appreciate Dory, her mom, and Tony, and also Joni, uh, who uh, kind of were the executive support for all that she did, and she did a great job leading that project. So thank you for everybody that served yesterday. It was a lot of fun, and all those boxes will be headed out. So if you still have a box you want to donate, you have till next Sunday. So bring them in, and we'll add them, and they'll get shipped out. And then this past Wednesday, it was a blessing to be out praying under the stars. We'd never done that before. won't be the last time we did it, but the uh, Lord gave us perfect weather. It was a little bit cold that night, but it was actually exhilarating in a lot of ways. So that Lord really blessed that evening. And lastly, uh, as we pray, today we'll be praying for revival as we do every week. And then at the end of the service, like I said, we'll pray for the persecuted church. So we'll do uh, front side of the service, revival, back side of the service. We'll pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. We'll be praying for the nation of Georgia, uh, which is formerly, uh, formerly part of the uh, former Soviet Union. And uh, that country, uh, we actually are seeing churches planted there. We have Calvary Chapel Ministries there. God's doing a good work. Um, Joel Rosenberg and some other Christian leaders called for a day of prayer tomorrow for Israel. So uh, I would ask you to be praying tomorrow for the nation of Israel. Even some of the Orthodox Jewish people who normally want nothing to do with Christians are actually receiving, say, hey, we'll, we'll accept that prayer. Um, is that, is that, yeah, it's really a blessing to hear that. Um, we have, I've never seen such a rise of anti-Semitism as I have seen around the world. I think I'm living in 1939. Uh, it's unbelievable, the hatred. And you're like, you know, I hope everyone understands, Israel didn't even have an army. God put them back in the land. Right, right. There's no way that just coming out of the Holocaust for 7 million Jews, they couldn't take over the land if they wanted it. God put them back in there, and the, for anyone that wants to remove them is fighting against God. I want you to understand that right now. Um, it is impossible for a country that just lost, well, a people, an ethnicity, lost 7 million people to the, uh, the extermination work of Adolf Hitler. God used that to put them back in the land. They're the only country on earth that 3,000 years later has the same name, speaks the same language, and is in the same land. Say, what about Egypt? No, they speak Arabic now. They don't speak hieroglyphic Egyptian way back. So every country in the world except Israel, because God has preserved their language, their land, and the actual people themselves. So it's unbelievable uh, the propaganda we're seeing, all these things. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want us praying for everyone over there. Yes, he died for the Palestinian people. He died for Jewish people. He died for whatever country you're from. We pray for all people. But, uh, but we need to be praying because God's the one that put them back in the land, not anybody else. And, and, and Frankly, the people of Israel, they need Jesus too. I mean, they, most Israelis are not saved. Most Jewish people are not saved. Most Gentile people, whether they be Arab, Palestinian, which most Palestinians, are, they are Arab, but I'm just saying all of the people around the world that don't know the Lord have to come to Jesus too. So uh, we're praying for all parties, but, um, but we need to stand up uh, for right in every area. And uh, so this hatred is just bizarre. And you've got people that don't know anything about it. Uh, all these college kids, if they cared, why weren't they caring a month ago? Why weren't they caring two months ago? We've been working, to, we've been working in the Middle East through Ananias' house 
long before this was in the news. We care about everyone on every side. Does that make sense? So we, uh, this is um, something we need to be uh, harmless as does, but wise as serpents and, and really uh, pray for these things. So we've got a short amount of time, so I'm not going to ask you to get on your knees. Just bow your heads with us, and then we'll get right into Acts chapter 8. Lord, we just pray for revival. Our nation needs it. The nations need it. The nation of Georgia needs it. Israel needs it. Palestinian people need it. Lord, we just pray for a work of revival in us in this room. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We pray, Lord, that our leaders, that our young people, that our friends, our family, our neighbors would turn to you. We pray that you do the same work in the nation of Georgia. We pray that you do it in Israel. We pray that you do it in Gaza, in the West Bank, and around the world, Lord, that uh, there would be what Satan means for evil. You would turn it for good, Lord. You would help us to be lights and witnesses in this dark time. And, uh, Lord, we just pray for a work of repentance in the church in America, all across this country. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I'm glad I only bit off eight verses because we've got uh, a short period of time in which to cover, but I believe we can. We did it in the first service, so I'm confident we can do this. Um, Acts chapter 8. Starting verse 1, we left off. Uh, we finished the seventh chapter. Last week I did a, uh, a message about what's going on in the world and in Israel, and then uh, today we're back in uh, Acts in our study in the book of Acts, and we finished with Stephen. He was just stoned to death. He had just um, given his life for the sake of the gospel. And we pick it up with verse 1 of chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with them, uh, and multitudes with one accord, heeded the things which were spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again. We were so blessed just to worship you in song. Thank you for blessing the worship time. Just the power of the Spirit present even as we were singing unto you which we look forward to doing with all nations, all tribes, all tongues someday in heaven, with all of our brothers and sisters around the world. And Lord, now we just open your word and we know it's powerful. We pray, Lord, that you would move mightily among us, that your word would divide our thoughts and intents. And Lord, that uh, we would hear with hearing ears. And Lord, we would apply that which the Spirit speaks to each, every, each and every person I pray for your anointing, your help, your strength. I could never do this without your help. And Lord, uh, I know you'll be faithful to minister your word uh, to each and every one of us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be honored and glorified in it. In your name we pray. Amen. The short 
But uh, by the way, real quick, Fright, this message obviously is on the International Day of Prayer. I did not plan this date. I couldn't have planned this date. I did a couple topical things. It landed here just like Pentecost landed on Pentecost. We now land on this persecution scattering on the day of prayer. So I believe the Holy Spirit once again has timed it exactly the way he desires it. But uh, looking back at our text here, the short but vibrant ministry of Stephen, one of the first seven deacons named in Acts chapter 6 had culminated in that mighty message that Stephen had delivered to the high priest and to the Sanhedrin, Stephen boldly proclaiming the redemptive plan of God for and through Israel as a nation, from from Abraham to the patriarchs to Moses to King David to King Solomon, and all the way to the life of Jesus. And, And Stephen proclaimed how his brethren, both the ancestors and the fathers before and the men that actually arrested him, his brethren, his Jewish brethren there in Jerusalem that had arrested him, how all of them, the forefathers all the way up to these men, had refused and rejected the men that God had sent to Israel. Resulting in what? The final rejection of Jesus himself. And by the way, if Israel, I told this in first service, if Israel had repented as a nation and received Jesus, Israel would not be going through what it's going through right now. Did you know that? And God is still using even the oppression of the world to cause them to turn to him. That's why the tribulation period is going to be called the time of Jacob's trouble. So all of these things, God is still reaching out, not only to Israel, but to all the nations. But with Stephen, when he closed his message, he closed it with an indictment that the high priest and the leaders, that were, they were resisting the very spirit of God. And that they were breaking the very laws of Moses that they claimed to keep. And when he made that indictment, they were infuriated. Their blood was boiling. And Stephen's mighty message there in front of the Sanhedrin, it would become the last word he would ever give. And as the incensed men rushed at him to cast him out of the city and ultimately to stone him, all the while Stephen was looking up and he sees Jesus standing and waiting for him to welcome it into his eternal home. I look forward to Jesus welcoming me home someday. How about you? But Stephen's faithful finish and his martyr's death would not only transition his life from Jerusalem up into heaven, his death was going to bring about a transition and a rapid and painful transition for the church itself. But it was going to be a fruitful transition by the providence of God. And some of the painful things in our life, God still does great fruit, doesn't he, in our lives. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title, The Church Scattered and Sent Out. Most of us resist change. Can I get an amen on that? Most of us resist change. We often have to be forced into change or persuaded into change. Either how we're doing something, why we're doing something, And in various ways, God was going to use the very unjust murder of Stephen to ignite the church there in Jerusalem 
into other areas around Jerusalem and beyond with the gospel that Jesus had always intended for them to receive anyway. Luke picks up chapter 8 with his second mention of this individual named Saul. Mentioned uh, first in chapter 7, verse 58, where those who were stoning Stephen, they laid their clothes at the feet of Saul. Laid their clothes there quite lever- quite uh, factually so they could get more leverage in stoning. It's a, it's a horrible thing, but that's what they did. And here Luke expands the picture that Saul was actually consenting, not just a observer, but he was consenting to the death. And the Greek word for consenting here, it means to approve or to be pleased with. Stephen's death was satisfying to Saul. Isn't that hard to believe, right? But I, I, I can't believe it. I watched terrorists satisfied with the murder of somebody, right? They're like praising their God. They're not praising the true and living God. They're praising their God. They're satisfied with the death of someone. And this is what happens if you're following religion. And Saul, he may have also had some supervisory role in the execution of Stephen, given what Luke records in the next few verses and the type of actions that had taken place. Um, So he very well could have had some, some role. What began with Stephen, his execution and murder, it would set off a wave of persecution against the early church there in Jerusalem. And Saul, he was the tip of the spear for the high priest and the leaders wanting to see the church suffer and ultimately eradicate it. And the same sentiments, of course, were held uh, towards Jesus as well. Remember, um, it was only their fear of the people originally that had kept them from already coming against the church. Otherwise, they would have already tried to eradicate the church. But at some point, they um, went through this, just, uh, this constant wearing down the people's opinion of the early church, probably a combination of convincing a percentage of the formerly neutral people in Jerusalem, those that were on the fence. They were maybe non-believers, but they still weren't like against the church. And they had convinced those local Jews that the church, the early church, was a threat to the law and to the temple and to the traditions of Moses And then they also probably came to the conclusion, which we have seen around the world many times in the last 2,000 years, even now, they had come to the conclusion, hey, on top of all this, if we come against the Christians, once we've convinced enough of the population that they're a threat, by the way, the Christians won't even fight back. They'll just die for their Savior. So if they're willing to die, let's go ahead and do it. That's what they did with Stephen, starting with Stephen. But these factors no doubt contributed to the sudden unleashing of persecution, and their goal, of course, was to end Christianity, end this sect. They called it a sect uh, at that time, but we know, of course, it was the church of the living God that Jesus had established. Now, the, the early church, what happened with Stephen's death? Well, we can see they made great lamentation over him. Uh, they grieved heavily over the loss of Stephen. Now, you can kind of think of anyone that you enjoy or you've enjoyed over the years listening to 
that uh, teaches the word. You say, hey, I love to listen to Dr. David Jeremiah, or I used to love to listen to Pastor Chuck Smith, or Dr. Adrian Rogers, or Dr. Tony Evans, or whoever it is that you, that you enjoy listening to. I've learned so much over the years. If that individual, just think of any of those pastors that you can think of, Billy Graham, it doesn't matter, if they were stoned to death, and you eyewitnessed it, would you have great lamentation in your heart? I would. I've met some of the men that I met, mentioned, not all of them, but I've met some of them, and uh, in the ones I didn't meet, I feel like I know them because I've listened to them so many times. It says the devout men carried and buried Stephen in a great lamentation was given. Uh, a lamentation typically was demonstrated with great expressions of grief, weeping, not just kind of a few tears, just weeping. And in what they would do, and they still do this in the Middle East today, not just uh, Jewish people, but Arabs as well in the Middle East, they would, especially in ancient times, they would beat their breast in this great expression of grief. And you don't really see that as much at funerals and things like that in this country, although you can see it. I'm not saying it never happens. But that was very, very normative. And so they beat their breast, just uh, great lamentation over Stephen. Uh, it was allowable in that time to bury someone who was condemned to death under the law. You could bury someone under Jewish law if they were put to death, but it was not allowable. Public mourning for them was prohibited. That obviously did not stop the church. They did publicly mourn. They wept and had great lamentation for Stephen. Why? Because they saw his death as he was innocent, that he had not committed any sin. He had not committed any crime. He was innocent, and so they wept for him anyway, whatever uh, that would cause them additional uh, persecution or them coming against him. And no doubt, even them mourning over him would further infuriate Saul and all the others that were now set on coming against the early church. Now Saul, he begins scattering the church. He, he begins to, like, like a bowling ball that hits the pins, right? You throw the bowling ball and they just go in all different directions. He begins making havoc for the entire body of believers. And he was relentless. Look at verse 3. It says, uh, as for Saul, he made havoc in the church, entering every house. We just had trick-or-treaters knocking on my door. And they didn't even make it to every house. Although some of the kids, I looked at the hall that they had, and I, you know, I'm like, good gracious. Uh, but um, every house. Saul was relentless. It, it almost appears that even in Jerusalem, even if you weren't a believer, Saul was there to double-check in case somebody was there. Luke was very specific with details, but so Saul begins to enter every house, and he was heartless, dragging men and women into prison, separating parents from children, children from parents, husbands from wives. For some reason... Uh, and it certainly appears a hedge of divine protection, the apostles decide they are not going to budge. They're going to stay in Jerusalem, and they are going to be the anchors to stay there, and whatever happens, happens. Remember, they've already been threatened with death, uh, or they've been threatened with persecution earlier, and at least in Peter and John's case, they came through that. Uh, but we believe God does protect them uh, later on, all the apostles, except for John, are going to die martyrs' deaths, every single one of them. So uh, it just wasn't their time yet. 
But others had to scatter, and the apostles, for some reason, were able to stay. They remain in Jerusalem as a setting hand and encouragement to the church. And persecution has purified the church down through the ages. If you've read books and biographies and uh, in, uh, writings about what has taken place at different times and periods in the church, uh, it has purified the church down through the age. Per, uh, persecution never weakens the church. Never. Sin and compromise weakens the church. I, I have said it many times, I believe some of the believers in the countries you just watched that video are much stronger believers than many American believers. They're the real heroes of the faith. I'm not even sure why we send American pastors to go teach to them. We should be doing the reverse. So we come here to teach us. But sin and compromise weakens the church. Opposition and persecution never weakens the church. It actually purifies. It distills what is real versus what isn't. But we have a responsibility. Uh, we know this from Scripture. We have a responsibility. It's why we played the video. It's why we're participating with churches from all over the world. Like I said, I couldn't have timed this message. God timed it. that It would be exactly if I didn't give a topical one last week, which I wasn't even thinking about the dates. This wouldn't have happened on the same Sunday. But God's given us a responsibility to pray for and to care for and to love and just intercede for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And we'll be taking a few minutes at the end of the service, as I mentioned, to pray together for suffering families and our, suffer our suffering larger family uh, in the name of Jesus. But it tells us in Hebrews 13.3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And I feel, uh, because I have the Holy Spirit, and you should ha have the same if you have the Holy Spirit, I feel a kinship with people I've never met before that don't look like me, that don't speak the same language as me, that have different cultures and customs than me. But what we have in common is we have the same Father. Amen? And we have the same Savior, and we have the same Spirit that lives within us. And so that alone makes you have a love for people and a care for people that are mistreated that uh, you also uh, you sense that, hey, what's hurting them? Uh, even though like the, the Bible makes it clear that we're all part of one body. Um, my toe is a long ways from my head. But if you slam it with a hammer, the, the rest of the body knows about it and feels it. And if you're walking in the middle of the night and you forgot you left the laundry basket or whatever else, you find out that one part of the body informs the rest of the body what's going on. And so we, we should care. But what started there in Jerusalem has by no means ended in Jerusalem. Satan continues to this very day as you just saw in the video, to intimidate and discourage the church. Now, in verse 4 it says, Therefore um, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And he uses the word uh, scatter as well back up in verse 2 when he says they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Um, the Greek word for scatter is the same concept of scattering Seeds. So you know how the sower would take, they have the kind of side uh, satchel looking thing and they've got seeds in there and they would take it, and they don't have like my Scott's Speedy Pro uh, uh, rotary sp uh, spreader thing going, they would actually take their hand and they would toss the seeds and it would land in different places but that's the way you were 
casting seed. You were, you were planting seed. And those who fled Jerusalem, they planted the gospel wherever they went. It tells us uh, that that's exactly what they did. That they would go in the regions and they took the, uh, they took the gospel wherever they went, preaching the word. And so the scatter, they were actually planting, they were actually distributing the gospel. But understand that even as they were scattered to the villages in the rural areas of Judea and Samaria, which again back in verse 2 it says they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Even if you got to one of the villages, especially in Judea um, specifically, that would be like uh, running from downtown Richmond and making it out to Amelia or out into Goochland. I know some of y'all live out there. You call it God's country out there. But you live out there uh, already. And, uh, but making it to these rural areas was no guarantee that Saul and his men wouldn't come after you and find you after they went through every house in Jerusalem. They started to fan out and try and find Christians. And Saul was, again, as I mentioned, relentless that he would go after people well outside of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he recounts later when he becomes Paul. It's up on the screen in Acts 26, verse 11. He said, and I punished them often in every synagogue. Not only every house, he went to every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He wanted to re- them to recount their conversions, to deny Christ that they would live. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I mean, Paul had a terrorist mentality in the sense of uh, striking terror into anyone who wouldn't reject Christianity or recant their faith. Any religious construct that is outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, and at this time Saul is unsaved, so he's well outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. He's of the devil at this point, even though he thinks he's doing God's work, by the way. So did the high priest and them. And they stone and Stephen, they think they're doing the work of Moses. But any religious construct, even if it's based on Scripture, and a lot of people have built cults on Scriptures, amen? They don't use the whole counsel. They use the ones they want to use. They don't use the whole counsel of God. But any religious construct that's outside the work of the Holy Spirit and the precise teachings and doctrines of Jesus himself can and has often descended into violent and even barbaric zeal, right? We've seen it over the last 2,000 years many times uh, under the name of religion, very barbaric zeal, violent zeal. Many wars, not all wars, but many wars have a religious element at their core, Many of wars have had a religious element. And the reason is, is even when people don't think there's a religious element, uh, take, um, take World War II in Nazi Germany, um, or take Japan, uh, and they had emperor worship. Uh, Germany, they worshipped Nazism. Even if they said, we're non-religious, we're more about a government construct, it doesn't matter. As soon as that becomes the center of your life, that's your God. Many Americans will be shocked to stand before God and find out one day money was their God. Entertainment was their God. Leisure was their God, right? So now, generally speaking, those things don't end up in violent wars. They just end up in self-indulgence. But if you have Nazism as your war, or if you have an emperor worship, and emperor says, I want to rule the world, then you have wars coming out of it. But it's a religious fervor that's behind it. Does that make sense? And obviously you have the 
crusades and the you know, Ottoman Empire and jihad and all those things, we understand those things go back to religious components. But even today, I mean, people can worship the climate. We have young people, that is their God. That's why they're in every protest. They don't even know what it's about. Just, as long as it's a globe, and then they're there. That becomes their God. Now one place that Saul might have been least likely to go was Samaria. Uh, given that devout Jews hated Samaria, hated Samaritans, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. The Samaritans were half-breeds to the Jews. I'm not saying that they are. That's what they considered them to be. But for the believers in Jesus, we know that God's come for the whole world. Uh, I'm not only half-breed, I am like eight. I don't know what I am. I got a lot of different things. I've said it before. I, I've never done the DNA test because I don't really want more information. I feel like the, they already have enough about me. You can watch me on YouTube. You can find everything. Uh, you need to know everything about my cell structure and who I descend from and all the other stuff. But, uh, but anyway, that's not part of my notes at all. That was just bonus material. <laughs> but we know that Jesus came for the whole world. And Jesus loves Samaria. He loves Samaritans. He loves Palestinians. He loves Jewish people. He loves Italians. He loves whatever you are. He died for the whole world. And this persecution, it's actually used to the Lord because God did send his son for the whole world, not just Jerusalem. He sent the world for all the cities, all the nations. But this persecution, persecution is actually used of the Lord as an impetus for the church to begin fanning out and fulfilling the Great Commission, which was to go into the whole world. We see it in Matthew, we see it in Mark, we see it in Luke. I think I have Mark 6.15 up on the screen where Jesus said to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And that doesn't mean to dogs and cats and stuff like that, but it meant to every soul, every person who is created in the image of God. And that's every single person who is created in the image of God. And then Jesus goes on to say in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you were with us back when, at the beginning of this series, um, Acts 1 8, he said, Got the right verse up there. Hold on one second. One. He says in Acts 1 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which they already were. But then he says, Judea and Samaria, which is exactly where they head with this persecution, and then to the ends of the earth, because after that, they will finally begin to fan out and go to Greece and go to Egypt and go to India and go all the way up into the northern countries. But it would start by first going to Judea and Samaria, which is listed there in verse 1. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had this to say. He said, in every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God, the Lord will cause it to be spread, ab spread abroad, more or less. He never meant that a church should be like a nut shut up in a shell, nor like ointment enclosed in a box, the precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. It's true. The gospel was not meant to stay in a shell. It was supposed to come out of the shell. It wasn't meant to stay in the kind of shell of Jerusalem to go out of Jerusalem. And even though the early church was on fire for the Lord, for whatever reason, they were so, you can understand, they were so enjoying the fellowship of one another that it really hadn't kind of pushed outside the walls. And here at Calvary Chapel, Richmond, 
we want to use this property. We, we, we kind of unintended, we didn't intend to, but we knocked out the children's ministry today by doing something for the children's ministry. So we, the whole reason it's being painted was so it would help them, and then the weather and all that stuff. But ultimately, the courtyard, all that, we, we're not trying to make it look amazing, but we also want it welcome. We want to use this property to welcome people so when they come, they can sit here and hear us to proclaim the whole counsel of God and the Word of God, whether it's in children's ministry classes or in this sanctuary. But we also want to leave this property. And we will, a little bit later, all of you will be off the property. You'll be at Panera, and you'll be here and there, and you'll be everywhere. But uh, we want to leave this property and share the gospel with our lives, with our lips, with our emails, with our text people, with local evangelism, with sending and supporting the work of the gospel in countries that we, that we currently support right now. If you didn't know, we currently already support Guatemala, India, Uganda, Italy, the Philippines, Israel, and a number of nations in the Middle East. This little church, we send support to all of those places as well as we take short-term mission trips. The team that went to Guatemala this summer um, it's been well said, though, that as a believer, we're either called to go or help someone go. Amen? Everyone is called to be part of reaching the nations. Um, I, told, I told our elders and deacons recently, now this may change at some point. I have not felt led. A number of the Calvary Chapel pastors I'm friends with. I'm, uh, I'm friends with a lot of the Calvary Chapel pastors here in North Carolina or here in Virginia and North Carolina. Some of them have planted churches outside of their Calvary Chapel and planted another one. I have not felt led for this church for us to send, like Pastor Trevor or Zach, to go plant one. I have felt led for us to be very involved in the nations. So for us, for whatever. And then there's other churches that are more called to Judea and Samaria. We're called to our Jerusalem and to some extent, I mean, the counties around us. But we have, uh, at least, in, and God may change this, but right now our calling is here and far abroad. And, uh, and so uh, we want to continue to uh, reach the nations and why we're praying for the persecuted church here again today. Now out of this persecution, Philip, and if you don't remember, Philip was one of the original seven deacons with Stephen. Him and Stephen were uh, colleagues together. They both served under the apostles. And Philip heads to Samaria. So I put a map up there. This helps the kids, too, if they're about, uh, about to lose it. They give something to look at. Because uh, I don't know. When I was a kid, if I sat in a service, the maps in the back were really helpful for me. Because I, I liked geography, and I could study them. I'm like, the problem is I look at the same maps every week. You know, like I, I'd like some new maps, but the pictures in the Bible were also helpful. But Philip heads to Samaria, which is uh, north of Jerusalem. It's heading northwest of Jerusalem, so the Mediterranean Sea is actually west, of uh, northwest, well, directly west, but Samaria in this case is northwest. Now Samaria, uh, it says that he, uh, Philip went down, verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria, and some of you look at that arrow, so that doesn't look like down, it looks like up. Well, elevation, it's down, because you can see that the uh, Jerusalem is in the higher uh, elevations of the mountains, and as you move towards Samaria, which is heading northwest, uh, you're going down in elevation, but you're going north, northwest, uh, directionally. And so he goes to Samaria, uh, which is a lower elevation than Jerusalem. Jesus had come to Samaria, as you recall, 
in his three-year ministry. He had also gone to Samaria. But he went to the Samaritan city of Sychar. I put a blue, a blue box around Sychar. Sychar is right there. And so Jesus had went to Sychar, and he had spent two days in Sychar after the woman at the well had given her life to him. Jesus was the living water. She didn't know what he was talking about. He becomes the living water of her salvation. And then Jesus spends two days in Sychar. Samaria is the main city, and it's also the region. And we have a place in America that's the exact same way. It's called New York, New York, right? <laughs> the city is called New York. The state is called New York. It's New York, New York, and NY, comma, NY. This would be Samaria, Samaria. Samaria was the main city, and it was also the region, so we can understand how that worked. Then you had other cities or villages in there, such as Sychar, where Jesus spent that time. So he goes to the city of Samaria, and he begins to preach Christ. What else can he preach, right? That's what he was called to preach. That who had, that's who had saved him, saved the apostles, the Savior who had came to not only save uh, his Jewish brethren, but also to save the Samaritan souls. So he, he, he did not think like the other Jews that were still dead in their trespass of sin. He did not think the Samaritans were dirty infidels not to be touched. He realized that God had sent him just as Jesus had gone to Samaria. And praise God, it says that he preached Christ to them and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things that were spoken. Oh, how we pray that America would heed the things that the Bible is saying. Before it's too late, we might find uh, we find ourselves in a far worse place if we do not heed. And the Savior um, is, is preached, and they heed the things that are spoken. It says that multitudes heeded these things. And similar to Stephen, uh, prior to Stephen's final message, uh, Stephen did a bunch, uh, or in his ministry, however brief it was, uh, Stephen did these great miracles, and Philip also does these great miracles that we see. The Spirit of God working through him to cast out demons. Uh, many people are healed of sickness and paralysis. Uh, and they see these miracles and they believe based on what he preached from Christ as well as the miracles themselves. And, and we see that there was great joy in the city. Great joy. God wants to bring joy, not judgment, to the cities of the world. Amen? He wants to bring joy. But we have to be... What is the key here? They heeded. If America will not heed, it'll be judgment, not joy. If you and your life will not heed, it'll be chastening, not joy. It's not joyful, but whom he loves, he chastens. And hopefully that turns us to him where we would experience the joy of our salvation. But so many souls here are set free, and so many bodies are healed, and many see both their body healed and their soul healed. I mean, that's kind of a double blessing. It would be great if you were dying of cancer, and you get saved and healed of cancer all at the exact same time. And say, well, now I'm going to give the rest of my life to serve the one who healed and saved me. And so uh, Philip was used. Um, and by the way, it was... Um, uh, it was quite a wise move on Philip's part to run to Samaria, you know, uh, that Saul doesn't want to go there, and he's found a place where he can go and preach, but you can imagine the scene. Philip is likely himself astounded by the citywide response. What a blessing if you're Philip. You run for your life to a city hated by those who, seeking, who are seeking your life, 
to see thousands come to life. Isn't that great? He's running for his life to a city that the people that hate him are seeking his life, and he sees thousands come to life through the risen life of Jesus. These miracles that he does, I know that sometimes you will watch, and certain televangelists will talk about they have this capacity. Uh, I've yet to see it, not like I see it in the scriptures anyway, but these miracles and this healing power, I think we can all agree, this has not been given by God to everyone at every time. Amen? Everyone has not been given this kind of power. The apostles were given it. Stephen was given it. Now Philip has given it, and perhaps some others were given it, but it was as rare, even in the New Testament, it was as rare as the Old Testament prophets. There wasn't a bunch of Moses running. That's why Moses was understood as he, had, he did things. It wasn't everyone parting the Red Sea. It was like one dude out of a couple million people. So it was not something that was ordinary. It was extraordinary. And this outpouring of signs and miracles and power in the first century was unique in all of church history. Not to say that God could never do that at any other time. He certainly can. He's not limited by anything. I'm saying historically that's the time we see it poured out. And just like when in Nineveh, Jonah was the prophet who didn't even want to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh and the whole city repented. And here we see a very similar response in Samaria. And that's not the norm. Those of you who have tried to share the gospel just with your family at Thanksgiving <laughs> have not seen everyone say, we're all in. <laughs> right? Missionaries, evangelists, church planters, even pastors in some foreign countries go years without seeing anything like a response that Philip sees in one day. Stephen himself did the same miracles, the same signs, the same healings, and got a far different response, didn't he? That just goes to show. Philip does them in Samaria, whole town. Stephen does them in Jerusalem, he gets stoned. Our job is always to go, to pray, to care, to share, to give, to surrender and leave the results up to God. Amen? Uh, you, you don't know if you're going to have a Stephen result or a Philip result or just a modern America result, which is, I'm praying for him for the next, it's been 30 years now, right? But I've seen people come to Jesus in the last couple of years. Uh, Jason's testimony, let a guy this week, that you know, God's still moving. A missionary to China in the early 1800s, let me bring this to a close, a missionary to China in the early 1800s, his name was Robert Morrison, he plotted and labored for seven years until he saw his very first convert and baptism. Seven years. I'm sure the people back at home waiting for the missionary newsletter were like, this isn't very productive that you're doing, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> Uh, while we're sitting halfway around the world doing nothing. And many that have taken the gospel to other places around the world and foreign lands have had very similar results. And Zach and Lee, they're coming back after a little more than a decade there in India. But I know you guys spent several years before anyone really responded in a, in a, in a Muslim community there that uh, just, 
They weren't ready. Relationships had to be built. So you can have a Philip. If God does that, that can happen. But normally, it's a lot of laboring and toiling and hard soil and the slow, persevering work of planting and preaching and building relationships is most often what we see both here and internationally. That's, that's more of the norm. But we pray. That's why we pray for God, revival. God can quicken things out of nowhere. But praise God that what he did through the preaching of Philip and the soft heart response of the Samaritans, because at the end of the day, you say, well, hold on. Is that the work of God or was that the soft heart of the Samaritans? Yes. They still have to have a response. In Jerusalem, they got the same message. It wasn't the same response. They killed Stephen for actually bringing that message. But in that city, there was great joy because Christ was preached. They heeded. And then when they heeded, they have great joy. A lot of the people that you meet that are in misery don't know the joy they would know when they just heed the name of Jesus. The very thing that they want least is the thing that will help them most. Our job, though, is just to plant seeds wherever we go and not to worry about the results. Just plant the seeds. And this is why we pray for revival like we did in the earlier uh, part of the service. And this is why, as we come to the end of this service, we're also going to uh, pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters because they're planting seeds that you and I are not planting. But you can pray with them, those that are in Nicaragua, those that are in Nigeria, those that are in North Korea, uh, I wasn't born there. I'm not sure why God had me born in Annapolis, North, Maryland in 1969 and why you were born where you were born. But we can pray with them that God will use what they're doing there and that God would quicken. And even some of their persecutors would come to faith like Saul did. That's one of the things that we're praying. So we are going to um, close in prayer and then the worship team is going to come up after we pray here and uh, close us in song. But if you can take just... Uh, a few minutes, about three minutes of just silence uh, and just pray quietly where you're at. Uh, if you've got someone sitting beside you and you want to pray uh, a whisper level, you can do that too, or you just want to pray silently. Um, but if, if a nation pops in your head from the Lord, pray for it. If something you saw in the video, you th- I didn't even have any of those countries in mind, pray for them. Let's, let's uh, intercede for our brothers and sisters for just a couple of minutes together.